In your bulletins, there are sermon notes. You want to pull those out. Most of those have been filled. <laughs> they've been filled in, but we'll, you'll see there's a lot more to the sermon notes even this week. Psalm 119 is the psalm that we've been studying for the past 18 years, taking one or two stanzas every January. If you haven't been with us, we've been working through this since, I think, 2001. And finally, this month, we're coming to an end. Um, we started last week looking at the final stanza, 169 to 176. And if you weren't with us, I highly encourage you to go and get the podcast, get the podcast off the internet and listen to it so that you're up to speed because we go into depth in that study about the background but just some salient background points is that number one is when we come to psalm 119 the longest psalm in the bible we don't know who wrote it and i think that's been part of god's wisdom sometimes when we have an understanding of who wrote it maybe we we pigeonhole it as to one specific situation by not knowing who wrote it whether it was daniel ezekiel or david it is somewhat open-ended as to what situation this possibly could be um but what we do know is that this author was in trouble and and that is critical as we'll move forward number two we know this isn't just a bunch of random thoughts it was well organized it is written in acrostic format, 22 Hebrew consonants. Every stanza begins with the successive consonant in order. So verses 1 through 8, Aleph, verses 9 through 16, Beta, and then so on, all the way through the alphabet. We come now to what is the Ta, Tal um, consonant. And what's the significance of that? Well, it shows that this wasn't random. This was well thought out. It shows the beauty of Scripture, that our God is very, very uh, much a creator um, in the sense of he brings a lot of beauty to things. And, this, and the way he even worked through the author of this psalm to have it written in such a beautiful way. And number three... We know that this psalm emphasizes the word of God. And what we went through, and it would be on the podcast last week, is that there are eight prominent synonyms that are used throughout this psalm that reference the word of God. Now, there are other words that are used, like ways and paths and stuff, but almost every verse has some reference to the word of God. And so, like, we look at verse 169. It references your word. And then um, verse 170, your word. And then verse 171, your statues. And each one of those uh, statues, commandments, uh, law, are used throughout this psalm over and over and over to have us understand how important it is for us to be in the word of God. And then you take the context of this and the fact that this author is going through a trial and we learn, in essence, the theme of this psalm is that no matter what you face, be faithful to the word of God. How critical that is. And it's through pressure situations and it's through difficult situations that you're revealed for what you really are. Because in a pressure situation... Are you going to stay faithful to God? It's in the pressure situations that, that maybe all of a sudden something bad happens and you recognize, you say, God is all-powerful. He could have stopped so-and-so from dying. He could have stopped this accident from occurring. 
And the question then becomes, are you going to trust God and stay faithful to who he is? Or are you going to get bitter? Or are you going to, are you going to, like in a situation where you're facing a financial crunch, all of a sudden start to lie, start to cheat, start to do things that are illegal? Or are you going to continue to honor God? In trials of extreme passion, are you going to forget, forget God and just satisfy yourself? These are the challenges that trials bring. And so, as I said last week, we don't know specifically what the author was going through. It dealt a little bit with persecution. We do know that. But it does, it does stand a little bit open-ended. And so, as we started studying last week, we said that there, if you look at your sermon notes, this basically boils down to there are eight pleas and about four or five affirmations. And I just said, I'm going to keep this real simple. And what you have on your sermon notes is what we're just going to go back and forth throughout this study. Please that come from a heart in pain, and then the affirmations of a man trusting in God. And the first verse we looked at 169 last week after we did the background was this verse. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. And there's intensity there. There is a sense of a cry. A cry is not just, hey, this is a request. This is something intense. And what he wants is understanding. And I alluded to this concept. We look at that line, understanding according to your word. Not just understanding, but it's according to what God says. And so if you put up the slideshow, Brian, and let's not get the lights. Let's see if we can see this. I guess you can yell at me and tell me as we go through this. <coughs> what, I think we can see that pretty well, right? Tomas, can you see it really good? Okay. What, what I want to do, you see this word, I've, I have uh, highlighted it in yellow. I went through a whole series of, of um, Hebrew pa- passages in the Old Testament written in Hebrew with the idea of grasping the concept of getting it, understanding, and how this word understanding keeps appearing throughout the Old Testament and then looking at some synonyms, whether Old Testament or New Testament synonyms. And I want us to do just that today. Understand trials according to God's word. And so just as a little um, more to the background, and I alluded to this last week, we're going to try to come to an understanding of trials according to God's word. Not according to our opinion, not according to the way we would like trials to work out, but how God's word reflects how he answers things in trials. And so understanding God's word in a trial is important. Uh, I hope you can see it. Um, Well, you look at verse 169b. Give me understanding according to your word. That's what the psalmist was crying out. Why is that important? Well, that's what I want to allude to through this study, okay? For believers, trials have a purpose to bring about your spiritual growth and hence your understanding, your wisdom of God. And here's that quote from James from the New Testament Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 1, 2-5. How in the world can I ever consider a trial a joy? I mean, let's talk about some really good trials. Like I said last week, if you weren't here, I smashed my finger about two weeks ago where I thought I literally broke it. And, 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 and blood was everywhere. It was painful. But I would put up with that pain every month compared to coming and dealing with some other trials. 
dealing with death, dealing with some emotional trial where, you know, maybe you were betrayed or something along those lines. You, you know, trials, trials for me to consider these things joy, I have to believe that God is working all things for good. I have to believe that there is a God who is in control and that he is working these things out. And that's my challenge for you. Because I want you to come to that reality that you have to do this. This is an instruction. You go back and study the book of James. And there are six instructions in James chapter 1. And it starts off when, when you encounter various trials. And remember that word various trials comes from a word in the Greek Septuagint that was tied to the coat of many colors. Joseph's coat of many colors. Trials, they come, they come financial, they come emotional, they come, they come in a physical way. They come pounding down upon you. And for you, to, in the midst of a trial, consider it a joy. It's going to have to be when you believe at the heart of all that you're going through that God is in charge. And so there are three possible ways to understand a trial from God. ...from God's word for believers. And I have pulled this together theologically... ...and I alluded to it last week... ...but I really wanted to drive this home... ...because I truly believe... ...if we are going to ask for understanding... ...it's going to come through this way, okay? Number one... ...number one, God uses trials to give us understanding... ...about his authority to discipline and judge us. And we're going to talk about that, like with Job. One of the things that it's so important for us to understand... That God does allow bad things in believers' lives for a purpose. A purpose of discipline, a purpose of judgment. Just like Job. Second, God uses trials to make us search out understanding. To search out understanding his ways to deal with the trial. Like we see in Psalm 119. I could have went other places, but I thought Psalm 119 is the, one of the best places for this. And so let's just stay in this, this chapter. And then third, God uses trials to give us understanding of his power to deliver us, like Israel at the Red Sea. This is what's on the back of your sermon notes, so that you don't have to copy this down. <clears throat> this is on the back of your sermon notes, so that you have these three. Now let's understand each one. First one, God uses trials to give us understanding about his authority to discipline and judge us, like Job. Throughout his trial, Job questioned God. Job challenged God. Job felt God was not right in allowing this trial in Job's life as Job did not understand God. And I, I put this from the, one of the initial complaints of Job where Job says this, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou or you do contend with me. According to your knowledge, I am indeed not guilty, yet there is no deliverance from your hand. So let's put this in context. You're a person like Job. Job was somebody that was very righteous. He was somebody that lived the godly life. He gave to others. He didn't do things secretly that were immoral or improper. Job was so right before God. And yet, if you go personally, you study Job chapters 1 and 2, Job loses his, his health, his wealth, and his children and his servants. They all end up getting killed, his children and many of his servants. He's a person that loses it all. And he's sitting there saying, why, God? Why have you done this to me? And if anything, you, God, have to understand, I am totally innocent. I don't deserve any of this. This is something when you go through a trial, 
you can start to wonder, why did God bring this on me? Why is God allowing this? Does he not know I'm faithful? Doesn't God know how much I give to the church? Doesn't God know how much I serve? You know, and so that is the heart of someone that's been very upright, what Job proclaims. But like a potter with clay, God used the trial to mold and shape even a righteous man like Job. And we understand through scripture, whether it's the book of Jeremiah, and I believe it's in Isaiah and other places, that this imagery of God being like a potter. Now, these aren't the hands of God, but the idea of a potter with taking clay and molding it and shaping it is something that God says, this is my right. This is my authority. This is what I'm allowed to do with you. And, and when God does this, he shapes us how he wants us through trials. Now, here's a bowl being made. And maybe this bowl, I think it's, you know, could be used for something good. It could be used for something like a meal. Or it could be used for like a spittoon. Or it could be used for a toilet. I mean, and every one of us would like to say we're going to be a nice piece of pottery that's going to be used for a wonderful meal or something along those lines. I want to be put on display. That's what I want to do. God, don't force me or make me into something that is going to be used in a very dirty place. But God basically can say, I can shape you and I can use you the way I want to use you. All right? And so as Job goes through his trial and he learns that God basically never tells him why he went through the trial other than to say, listen, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you? Don't you understand? I'm the one that's in control. And when God basically puts Job in his place and even rebukes Job through the fourth friend that Job has, at the end of the book, Job responds and he says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And guess who he's talking about? He's talking about himself. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not, and here's our key word, understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And basically, Job was humbled through the trial, and he came to the realization, God can do whatever he wants. And if he wanted to bring out a little bit of my arrogance and show me that I need to be humbled, even I who was walking greatly with God, then that's what God's prerogative is. And, and I don't know what trial you're going to have to go through if this is what God is going to do for you. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. And, and that is not an easy thing. If, if we were in a health, wealth, and prosperity church, I would maybe just always say, listen, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. You come, you follow God, no one will ever die. You know, you pray enough and you'll get all the money. But some people who are very faithful die penniless. And, and that's the reality. And it doesn't mean that they weren't faithful believers. Job came to understand this. And I'd encourage you to study the book of Job to understand and grasp how God is basically trying to say, I have authority to do whatever I want with your life. Second, God uses trials to make us search out understanding his ways to deal with the trial, like in Psalm 119. Earlier in the book, the psalmist wrote, make me understand the way of your precepts. Remember what precepts were? We studied that. Those are the principles. Those are the ways of God. He says, make me understand the way of your precepts so that I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. This understanding, let me grasp what I'm supposed to do. Let me understand so that I understand and I come to a realization of who you are. What I have found and what I know to be true 
is pressure is used by God. I love this picture with the tears. I love this picture of a man sitting in church, you know, with that Bible and he's praying because, you know, there's a reality. There are some people, and I don't know if it's you, that would never get up and pray unless all of a sudden things are pressed down upon them. And I've shared with you, there, there are times when, you know, you feel so overwhelmed that you'll take an hour and pray. You'll take an extra amount of time to study and read, like try to figure out what does God want me to do in this situation? God very much knows that we sometimes need a kick in the pants. Sometimes we need to be taken through a trial to all of a sudden start to get more focused on what God wants. And that's what happens in a trial. What we find is through pressure, we search out answers from God to understand our situation. God, I need to understand, I keep saying the wrong thing. Or God, I keep doing the wrong thing. God, I need to understand principles of sanctification. I need to understand principles of holiness. Sometimes this is used to bring people to salvation. I understand this. But this is from a perspective of even believers. That believers, sadly, through pressure situations, all of a sudden start to say, I need to study. I need to pursue God. And God definitely uses these pressure situations. And I want you to be prepared as you go through a trial. What is God going to do with you? Maybe you need to get going and read your Bible more. Get involved in Bible studies. Get involved in prayer meetings. Okay? God wants you to get going. Because, you know, you complacently go through life. Then one day you're going to find yourself standing before God and you've missed it. All you've worked about is living this life. And it is such an easy life to live in America. It is. We've got to be aware of that, that. That you can live your life in such comfort and never have to really deal with the hardship. But God brings hardship in so that you get going. Okay? And through this, too, it could be just the fact that when you go through a trial, you can stand as a testimony as someone who doesn't walk away from God. And, you're, and you study God, and you, what he just needs you to understand is strength. So that when you look at the Bible and the, and the principles and the truths about having strength come to you, and people can look at you and say, he or she has gone through this trial, and everything in me would have made me walk away, but this person hasn't. They've stayed faithful. They haven't gotten bitter. Listen to me. As we've often said, trials make you either better or bitter. And this is what I have seen now being a Christian for 30-plus years. You are going to go through a trial. I'm guaranteeing it. And you will either become better or bitter. And bitter will destroy you. Don't let yourself be destroyed. Go through the trial. Understand it and grow. And if the trial is just how to learn how to be stronger, then learn that. And then third, God uses trials to give us understanding of his power to deliver us, like Israel at the Red Sea. This is a passage from Exodus 14. If you're unfamiliar, Israel was being held in slavery for almost 400 years. We know they were there for 400 years, but not all of it was slavery. A good portion of it was slavery. And Israel was leaving Egypt. And as they had left Egypt after the ten plagues, and Pharaoh decides to chase after them, he chases them to the edge of the Red Sea. And at the edge of the Red Sea, they are distraught. They're like, why did we even leave? All God has done has brought us here to let us die. And we know that God didn't do that. What Moses says is to the people, don't fear, stand by and see. And this word see, I wish you could see it better, um, is the idea of 
visually seeing it, but with the idea of comprehension. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. That's what he says. It's like a promise. You're about to be delivered. And what we know is in fleeing Egypt, they seem trapped until God delivered them. And here's a picture from outer space. There's an actual picture with it annotated. That's the Red Sea. The Red Sea is not a little stream, okay? I have some streams by my house, and I can just jump across them. You know, like, oh, let's all jump across four feet, five feet. This is major. This is made up. This is, <laughs> this, this is this, the idea that um, somebody took a picture and, and drew, made it up, of what it perhaps looked like. Massive walls. Because the Red Sea is a very deep. Someone said at one point, it's several miles deep. Okay? Incredible. And God made the ground dry. Could God have let the people go a different way? Absolutely. But he brought them there to show his power. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that I know by according to God's word that this is not just one time that God has done this. He does this numerous times through scripture. He brings people, he brings us through difficult situations to show us his power. God is powerful and he may use his power to deliver you. Now, I didn't want to make this like negative, like, oh, he may not. That's true. And that might be with the first or the second points. But on this one, there is awesome power that God has. And, and I would hope and wish for everyone that everybody wants to, that we all get delivered. God is an awesome God. And, and he can say yes. He can say yes. So what we want to see, like Israel, we must understand there's always a future deliverance. And this is from Isaiah 43. And in the book of Isaiah, God is telling Israel, you're under judgment. I'm going to scatter you. And this is when the Assyrians and then the Babylonians are going to come upon them. They're going to be scattered around the whole world. But one day God says, you're going to come back and I'm going to bless you. And he says, you're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand and like put it all together that I am he before me there was no God formed and there was none after me like I'm all powerful I can scatter you to the most impossible situation where you're scattered around the entire world and you think there's no way that Israel will ever have a future but I will bring you together and then you're going to really grasp and understand how powerful I am you have to understand God didn't have to scatter Israel, but he did to, again, show them his power and so that we would understand it. And I hope that you understand it. So understand this. In a trial, stay committed. Trust that a faithful God is using one or all three of his purposes for a trial in your life. I don't know what he's doing, but what is key is in that trial, stay committed. Brian, you can just leave that up there. Look at, look at Psalm 170, I mean, verse 170. He says, let my supplication come before you. And when you have a supplication, it's intense. It's not just like this is a request. It's an intense request. He wants them, he wants God to, to hear him out. And it shows his humility. There's not a sense of arrogance like, oh, God, you have to hear me because I am who I am which a lot of humans sometimes we think we are, that God has the whole world revolve around us. And I understand that. I'm thinking, I'm thinking right now, you know, um, 
So many times we recognize there are passages in Scripture where people personalize them and make it sound as if, as if everything in Scripture and everything in, in human history is revolving around them. It's not. We have to recognize the incredible privilege that we have, Hebrews chapter 4, having access to God today now through Jesus Christ. And, and the psalmist is reflecting that humility. Let my supplication come before you. But then he wants deliverance. Look at, look at the second half of verse 170. Deliver me according to your word. According to the standards. However you've set it up. Bring about a solution. And I wanted to point this out. He wants solved. He doesn't want to be somebody that just, you know, put this in a situation where, <coughs> where I end up suffering the most pain possible. No human wants that. Okay? He wants to be delivered. He wants to have relief. But what happens when there is death? What happens in, when there is an injury that's irreversible? Well, there has to be some sense of like, okay, God, I, I got to be able to trust in your goodness. And, and maybe deliverance comes in the resurrection. Maybe deliverance comes in heaven. And I've got to trust in that. Okay? Deliver me according to your word. However it's going to be played out. But what you want to do is keep pursuing God. And on this Lord's Day, I just want to keep you passionate about that. Because you can, you can get to the point of bitterness where you say, well, that's it, I'm not even going to pray. And you see, I don't know if you remember, last week we said that this was in the Hebrew form of prayer. It's a Hebrew form of, um, it's called the Jesseph. You may not never remember the technical aspect of it, but the reality of it is, is he's reflecting that he's praying. And God has even allowed us to see in the Hebrew grammar that it is a form that's indicating a prayer. And I ask you and I challenge you, keep praying. I ask you, are you praying? Challenge you to pray. Men, we are having a prayer meeting next week. Get out of bed on sun, Saturday morning and come. We have our missions prayer meetings. Come. But make sure, male or female, whatever you're doing, is that you guys are praying. Prayer is so critical. And it shows the heart of a person that through life hasn't come to the place where they don't, re they don't reject God. Because what happens is when you go through a trial and you sit there and you say, why haven't you answered me, God, that you come to the place where you finally say, well, then God is so silent that I am not going to continue to turn to God. And God knows that. I, I went through so many psalms this week. I was, uh, as I've, I've shared with you, it's my passion in life to know the first verse of every psalm. Okay? And I've been through this like seven years and I, I'm, I'm, I've gone through all 150 and and I've worked it through, and, I'm, and I can tell you the first verse of many of them, but I'm really working on Psalms 31 through 60 this year, entire year. And as I've been reading 30 through 40 and 41, it's overwhelming just even in that section alone how many times the psalmist talks about the fact that it's like, God, you're silent, you're quiet, you're not responding. And I know that's how he felt, and that's how often I feel. But what you see with the psalmist is that they keep on praying. And that's the encouragement to me. Because I sometimes want to say, well, it doesn't matter. And, and I've gone through trials where I've said, it doesn't matter. I feel like it doesn't matter. God, you said no. You didn't hear me. You didn't come through for me. You let something really bad happen. You, you have let some really bad, bad things happen. And I've prayed so those bad things wouldn't happen. And you let them happen. What kind of God are you? 
and, and I don't understand you. And I, and I could sit there and say, well, I'm going to walk away from you, God. But I've got to come back and say, okay, then I've got to learn to trust you. And I've got to learn to believe in you. And I've got to believe out of the bad that you allowed happen, even though I prayed against it, that you will let something even better come about. Because I've got to believe that God is good. And, and so when I look at the psalmist and he says, deliver me according to your word. And then he says in verse 171, let my lips utter praise. He wants to come out. This isn't say, I do utter praise. This is tied into the concept of deliverance. When you praise God, it's like you're acknowledging he's done something good and he wants to see something good come out of this. Let my lips utter praise. I want something good. I'm going to keep on pressing. I'm not going to walk away from you. I'm going to continue to pray. And that's why up here, in a trial, stay committed. You've got to stay committed. You can't walk away from God. You've got to be someone that keeps saying, I want to praise you. I want to be able to say thank you, God. I don't know why or how or when this is ever going to be resolved to the point that I can come and give you praise. But right now, I don't see it. But one day, that's what I want to do. And then here for the first time, we get the first affirmation. And he says, for you teach me your statues. And he's, he's acknowledging that God is in his life. And this is what I want to end it up with today is the idea is the Bible teaches us in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 2 that everyone who's a believer, the Lord teaches them. He's involved in their life and he's instructing them whatever one of the three ways that he is using scripture in your life. Continue to allow him to be that instructor. But if you're telling me that today I've got no instruction, I've got no relationship with God, then it's probably indicative of the fact that you're not a believer. A person that has a relationship with God has God as a teacher. That's why Psalm 171 is so, you know, so I realize it's like so buried in this, this Bible, this verse. You know, like I've said before, 119th Psalm, 176 verses. You probably come to the 171st verse and you're so tired of reading this entire Psalm that you say, you know, should I really dwell and meditate on it? And that's why I'm so thankful we've taken the time over the past 20 some years and basically tried to grasp that this is God's word and every part and parcel is significant. And he wants God to be able to continue to teach him. And look at, he uses the word statues. That's what, that which is cut in stone. You continue to teach me for you teach me your statues. You're involved in my life. And for that, I am so thankful and, and, and I want to be able to future give you praise in the future. So that's my heart's desire for you. That's what I want every one of you to do. And, and so, pleas and affirmations. A person committed in prayer. I wrote this in conclusion. Each one of you have time, talents, and treasures that will be used in a trial, tested in a trial, taken in a trial. What is going to happen to you, I don't know. My hope, though, is that you stay faithful to God. And a key to do it is to stay committed now. Make a commitment. I will honor God no matter what I face. Like the psalmist does. And I hope you understand whatever God is, is doing through trials in your life, that it never rocks your understanding that God is good. That God is good. He might want to teach you his position over you, like Job. He might want to teach you to learn to act in a new way, like the psalmist in the 119th Psalm. 
Or he might want to deliver you like he delivered Israel. I don't know. But we know in the end what we will be will be made in his image when it's all said and done. That's what he's telling us for those who believe in Jesus Christ. I've got a story to leave with you. I thought this was really a poignant one. And I hope we all remember this when we wonder about God allowing trials in our life. Understand if this is a true story. It's a story has been told of an, it's an orphan boy who was living with his grandmother when their house caught fire. And it was a horrible trial. And the grandmother, trying to get upstairs to rescue the boy, died in the flames. The boy's cries for help were finally answered by a man who climbed an iron drain pipe and came down with the boy hanging tightly to his neck. His little boy, young boy, maybe about six, seven years old. Several weeks later, a public hearing was held to determine, I think this was in the day when they, this would occur, they would, a public hearing was held to determine who would receive custody of this child. The trial got worse because now someone in the town had to be found who would take care of this little child. A farmer, a teacher, and a town's wealthiest citizens all gave reasons why they should be chosen to take care of the boy. And as they talked, the lad's eyes remained on the floor. He was scared. He didn't know where he would go. He didn't know who to trust. And he didn't know those people. He didn't want to go with them. And then all of a sudden, a stranger walked to the front and slowly took his hands from his pockets, reached out to the boy. And when the boy looked at the scars in the man's hands, he knew who it was. As the crowd gasped at the scars, the boy cried out in recognition. This was the man who had saved his life and whose hands had been burned when he climbed the hot pipe. With a leap, the boy threw his arms around the man's neck and held on for dear life because he felt he could trust this man. The other men walked silently away. They let the boy and his rescuer alone. Those marred hands had settled the issue. And the point for you and for I is may we all remembered the scarred hands of Jesus will one day welcome us into heaven too. He will always be there for us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he said. May we trust that one day he'll reach out to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us a psalm like this to continue to remember, to keep pursuing you, to trust you, to keep praying. I pray that everyone in this room will stay faithful in the midst of a trial. I don't know what you're going to do in the trials in their life, God. One of these three purposes, all three of these purposes, it could play out. I don't know. But I pray that the model here, this is just a simple model of a person saying, give me understanding. Let me grasp. Let me have the wisdom I need. Bring about the deliverance so I have praise. It's something that every person will stay committed to. Oh God, I pray that you protect the men and women here. I love this congregation. I love this church body. I don't want the evil one to snatch any away, to take any away, to thwart anyone. And if, God, there's anyone close to faith, give them that faith to bring them across the great span between man and you. And we know that can only happen through Jesus Christ. And I, so I pray they become a believer in Christ today. But God, trials are hard. They bring intense tears like the photo. They bring us to our knees like that photo. We grasp our Bible. We search our Bibles looking for answers. And I pray that the answers are found for whatever anyone is going through. We pray, God, that in 2018 and beyond, 
that the men and women here will be found faithful and you'll be well pleased with the people of Christian Fellowship Church. How we hope that our trials could all be cut short, how we pray that you'll come quickly, maybe even tonight. But in the meantime, may we stay faithful and through our lives, people see a testimony of people that have gone through trials and gone through difficulties and say those people did not walk away from God. They did not get bitter when trials came. They stayed faithful. Oh, may we embrace you. We thank you for your scarred hands and the way that you, we already know that you care for us. We love you, Lord. We love you and thank you for dying for us. In Christ's name.